Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. So we find ourselves in a very uh, difficult season in the midst of this uh, coronavirus epidemic that we are uh, just entering, actually, at the end of the first week, and very challenging, as just hard-to-believe news uh, keeps coming at us at a pace that's difficult to absorb, uh, let alone lead other people in the process. And so we, along with millions of other people, uh, tens of millions of other people around the world, are in voluntary self-containment. And the world uh, is undergoing a reshaping of life as we've known it. And so uh, it's here. Uh, it's going to be here for a while. And so the question now is how to respond. And so I'm going to call today basically a part two of last week of leading through loss during the coronavirus pandemic. That's leading through loss during the coronavirus pandemic, part two. So last week I shared actually a sermon that I'd given uh, that presented a, a broad but very important biblical theology around grief and loss, because grief and loss and is a, really, I think, one of the core theological paradigms for us as we go through what I'm going to simply call a collective dark night of the soul uh, together. And look at the story of Job. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. Uh, there's three phases of biblical grieving. It's I pay attention to it. Uh, I live in the confusing in between, and then I let the old birth the new. And so we see in Job, for example, you know, he goes through this enormous suffering and pain and loss, and then he spends 35 chapters uh, paying attention, feeling it uh, profoundly before God and with himself. He goes through depression, deep depression, suicidal thoughts, cursing the day of his birth, extended misery. He shouts at God. His prayers are all over the place, uh, but he's He's hanging in there. He's waiting on God. Number two, he then he goes into the confusing in between. Uh, so he's feeling it before the Lord. He he stays in the confusing in between, even though he is struggling and he's bewildered. He's in mystery. Uh, he stays with God uh, in his struggle. We call that the confusing in between. And the third phase of biblical grieving is I let the old birth the new. I don't stay. In, I don't stay in despair. I'm hanging in with God, and then I, I understand there's always a resurrection. And so Job, at the end of his life, allows a God to bring something new to him, uh, new possessions. He ends up with a new family. He lives to 140 years old. He sees his children to the fourth generation. Things are not the same. He doesn't get what was lost back. But he comes out a broken and a changed person. He's called by God, my servant, four times, referring to a very closely bonded relationship. So, again, a very important framework. But this week, I want to go uh, now into application of that theology very specifically for us as we're living through this corona pandemic in a way that, by God's grace, you can then lead other people. You see, we must become the message that we offer to people, not just speak it, but actually embody it. And then we can offer a container as uh, leaders, as a church, as a ministry, a container for people to come to us and experience God, but it's got to first happen inside of us. So uh, let me just begin by introducing uh, this theme by just reiterating that we're, we are in a, the, a moment of a free fall of loss, big losses and small losses. And we're in the midst of a lot of suffering, great suffering around the world. People's lives are being changed. Folks are dying. Uh, you know, I mean, Every individual person who dies is a tragedy. Regardless of where in the world they may be, from China to Hong Kong to Italy uh, to here in the United States uh, to the UK. Uh, people are losing their health, their work, their earthly security, 
uh, controlled or uh, it, it, each, again, it's just tragic. Countries being shut down. Uh, I heard uh, the story of one person in our church who had lost his job after decades at a hotel. And uh, I just, it just, that his one life just, it just, it entered me. That That's the tragedy of it. And multiply that by millions of people losing their jobs. Uh, it, it's just a free fall. Small businesses, mid businesses, large businesses. And so, and then the stress on homes is, is enormous. Uh, some of you are working at home. No, 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 most of you are working at home right now. You have, you have small children with you at the same time. That's a great stress. A number of you have left, had a, had a loss of school. Uh, then you got the little losses of birthdays and anniversaries and graduations and vacations and family get-togethers are gone. And then there's the loss of just church as we know it. Uh, it, it it's gone. I mean, it's just without the physical contact, it, it, it's it's such a shift. And is it going to be a long-term irrevocable change? Uh, probably, uh, especially if this goes on for months. And so the world's changing as we know it in multiple ways. Uh, and for pastors and leaders, and I am one of you, there's a there's this real disorientation, a real loss of control, and there's a lot of grief and loss floating around. Our rhythms, our stability, our routines are shot. So um, no one escapes suffering in this life. No one escapes loss, pain, illness, death. But what's interesting is we really have very little understanding of it. And so I, I, let me confess to you in, in this podcast that I do hate grief, grief and loss. I I, I don't like to welcome them. Uh, I have a, I'm more of a street fighter uh, spirituality. I'd rather fight than let go. And so this has always been a challenge for me. And and uh, and so it's a it's a significant spiritual issue. I've done a lot of thinking about it, obviously. Uh, but I'm in my own process as well. And so remember, we live in a culture, Western culture, that values the ascent, control. Uh, clutching. We, we like things rising, the stock market, the economy, profit margins, growing churches, our 401k getting bigger, things improving, rising above our problems, progress. And so that, that's just the, our, we, that's what we like. And we get anxious when there's times of decline and decay and death, of, of stopping, uh, of, of regression. Uh, we feel like we're failing. And there's a time of descent upon us right now. And so I'd rather skip it uh, because I want to get the mission done. I want to expand. Uh, and this is not a time of uh, expansion. And so we live in a society with this grief, that, that a society that's grief phobic and death denying. And we just want to solve it by some medication quickly. And actually, when, when so many folks feel sad, we feel guilty and we want to apologize for it. And I, I love Thomas Merton's great phrase, God is too real to be met anywhere other than reality. God is too real to be met anywhere other than reality. And we are in a reality right now. And so the problem is if we do not process our griefs, us as leaders who are listening to this podcast, and then serve the people all around us, uh, then the grief is going to remain unexpressed. And then what happens, as you'll see towards the end of the podcast, our hearts grow hard like stone. And then little compassion and love actually flows out of us uh, to the world. So again, people approach grief generally in, in, in two ways. One is some, some or most people just detach from it or disconnect from it. Get busy, get start thinking about strategy. How do I keep this momentum going? 
uh, social media, and we want to. We're striving to keep the thing moving, and we're not connected to ourselves or what's going on around us. And so, I, I think for those of us in leadership and Christian leadership, it's trying to keep the numbers up and hold things together. That's that's one very common uh, approach: detachment and disconnection. And so, as a result, we get dulled and we're distracted. And like the culture, we push the loss and grief to the margins. Uh, the other extreme is we get drowned in sorrow and overwhelmed and we get crushed and we go down in despair. And uh, so what we are taking here is uh, a biblical approach of there, there's actually a holiness to the process of grief and loss. And we actually, by the, by the Holy Spirit's power, uh, we are offered courage to face the world as it is and not turn away from it and go into a hole and medicate ourselves. And that actually there's a guest, uh, the living God at the door coming to us. But this this facing grief and loss, it's hard work. It's an intense emotion. Uh, it, it ripens us and deepens it, us if we do God's process, if we follow God's process, uh, rather than harden us. So, uh, so there's three phases, and I'm going to take each one by one and apply it, uh, hopefully, to each of us uh, today. So remember, here's the three phases. By phases, I mean they overlap, and you've got to kind of hold all three together, even though you may be primarily in one. So the first is I pay attention to it. I feel it. Secondly, I, I wait on God with it, uh, even though it's confusing. And thirdly, I, I let the old birth the new, which is the resurrection. So, so I'm holding these three phases. Pay attention, waiting on God, and the confusing in between, and then I let the old birth the new. And I hold them all together. That's a, that's a biblical framework. So let's take them one by one. Uh, here in this podcast. So phase one, we allow ourselves to feel deeply our grief and loss. We, we allow ourselves to feel our grief and loss deeply. Now, again, the tendency is to numb ourselves, to medicate ourselves with things like shopping or busyness and social media and, and trying to work the way we worked before uh, this, this pandemic hit, which is not possible. We somehow want to distract ourselves to ward off, to keep away the feelings of emptiness emptiness, and and uh, just these horrible feelings that are like crashing at our door trying to break in. And, uh, you know, David, for example, we see this allowing ourselves to feel deeply. And you, you see it in uh, throughout Scripture, whether it's Jeremiah, uh, whether it's Jesus. But look at, look at think of David, a man after God's own heart, uh, and how he handled grief and loss. And again, we see, in when, for example, when Saul is killed in battle along with Jonathan in 2 Samuel 1, he, he, he writes a song, a lament, a grief and he commands the people to sing it. Uh, I mean, how many churches sang a lament this past week? Uh, probably not too many. Uh, David, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments, and these are songs of worship to be sung in church. Now, there's many other types of Psalms, but laments are by far the greatest number of Psalms. Uh, we find it in the 150 Psalms of the Psalter. And so, because they talk about the absence of God, or the, the apparent feeling of God being absent, when circumstances seem to say that God is not good. And, and there's a cry out, you know, throughout these Psalms of, you know, for comfort and care. And, and the laments in Psalms are, are wrestling with God's loyal, faithful love and trying to find it. And so you'll see verses like, you know, David saying, tears have been my food day and night. Or why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Or Lord, you've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. You've overwhelmed me with all of your ways. I mean, tremendous scripture. That's why I've been praying the Psalms uh, in this pandemic because the Psalms for us ask the difficult question, since God is good and loving, why is he not doing something? Uh, and of course, we have Jesus 
and I, I, I spent a day meditating on this one verse from Psalm, from Isaiah 53, 3, where it says, Jesus, a man of sorrows and familiar with sufferings. I mean, think about that. Jesus, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And the problem is we don't do suffering, again, in our culture. And that's why we've got to, again, get to Scripture and say, okay, Lord, help me, guide me in this. And so, and again, of course, it says in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And I suspect David... Uh, and Jeremiah, who wrote a whole book called Lamentations, they understood the, te the temptation and the struggle to not let those difficult, painful feelings or realities into their lives. Uh, but they knew how indispensable loss and grief was, if, if there's going to be real change. And so they wrote songs and poems about it so that we would have them generations later. Uh, and so in emotionally healthy discipleship, we talk about the iceberg a lot, that 10% of an iceberg is above the surface and visible, 90% is invisible and below the surface. And the Titanic was fatally damaged by what was unseen. Uh, but human beings were like icebergs. 10% of us is seen and visible, but there's a whole lot more going on below the surface. And so uh, I've got to learn to feel, uh, which is, uh, it's easy to ignore it and just be busy. So you know, again, unprocessed emotions, they don't die. They just simply get buried alive. Uh, so because God created these emotions to be paid attention to. And if they're not paid attention to, they will find another way to come out, whether it's through panic attacks or insomnia or high blood pressure, or irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, weight gain. They, they end up leaking in things like sarcasm and defensiveness and a host of other ways. And But they're like GPS systems that they're meant to be a, a, to guide us and be paid attention to. But if we're going to be able to serve other people, we've got to know what's happening inside of us. Uh, we've got to know our own feelings to love others well. And we can't have any kind of authentic church, churches or ministries uh, or love without entering our own pain and sadness and hurt and fears. We've got to enter our own and then we can make it safe for other people. I had someone say to me recently, no, Pete, I can enter other people's griefs I just can't enter my own. I said, there's a pastor. I said, no, that's not possible. You may do it in, on a superficial level, but it's all cognitive. It's all in your head. You're, you're actually not able to enter their griefs. But if you can enter your own griefs, you can enter anybody's griefs. Then, of course, as we enter our feelings, we can actually discern God's voice and hear him as well. And that's why it's so important to ask, God, how are you coming to me through this? Uh, God, how, how are you speaking to me? How are you trying to communicate to me? So, I've been asking each day I journal in the mornings and I journal my feelings of grief and loss. And and so I got my journal here in front of me. And so I, on day seven, you know, I, I journal my disruption. I, some of the things I wrote I'm sad about, disruption to my silence and solitude on the level I had it before. We're living with our daughter and her family and two small children with lots of noise. Uh, of course, all the lies being lost around the coronavirus uh, you know, my soul just needs space, uh, the dangers of just the virus itself, uh, that's th th how it's hard to work. It's uh, relationships are harder. This we feel constricted, um, having to learn all kinds of new things, uh, adjust our entire ministry called emotionally healthy discipleship, how we deliver the discipleship course and now lots of discussions. Uh, and I don't like being isolated inside a house and I'm a high extrovert and, uh, so I just began to journal those and prayerfully before the Lord. Then I prayed the Psalms. I've been praying the Psalms pretty consistently and just, again, in his presence. It's been wonderful. So again, the work of saying, I'm going to take this time like David 
and prayerfully express my emotions of sadness and grief before the Lord. I'm going to pay attention to them and offer them to God in his presence. That's what makes it uniquely uh, Christian. We, we do it before him. But then I, at the same time, I'm, I'm in a phase two, which I'm waiting in this confusing in between uh, on the Lord. You know, griefs, depending on their uh, level can rip through our bodies like shrapnel and they leave us dazed sometimes. And it's been a bit of, this whole thing has been a shock. And I think the first few days were just a total shock for, uh, for most people. And the ground feels like it's quicksand and I don't want to stay with it. Uh, I want to get out of it. Now it was John of the cross in the 1500s who wrote, uh, one of the great Christian, uh, writers in history. And he, he wrote a lot about, uh, how we often can make God an instrument of our own self-love. Uh, in other words, we end up using God for ourselves, and we have lots of fantasies and illusions about God, and our spirituality can become an escape from Jesus, actually, uh, not going to him. And so John of the Cross writes a lot about how the, the real integrity issue test is whether you've lived in the darkness of the cross, uh, the abandonment, the, the crucifixion, because that's where we really get to know him. Uh, and he has was one famous statement. It's a fantastic line. He goes, Jesus is known very little by those who consider themselves his friends. Jesus is known very little by those who consider themselves his friends, uh, which is us in the church. I get it because I don't want to know Jesus in his sufferings, in the crucifixion. Uh, and I don't want to participate in a collective dark night of the soul. But we are in not just a personal one, we are in a collective one uh, nationally and globally. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's really a, such a unique moment uh, in history. And so part of grieving biblically is I actually stay with God in that process. Uh, and we actually get to know him uh, in ways we've never known him before, because uh, God is reality. But do you realize that's the whole purpose of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course as a culture bringing into churches is to bring a larger, more fully orbed theology into the church that can produce deeply changed people. Now, the challenge is you have to actually live it. <clears throat> and we are in a moment of actually having to live uh, the wall, uh, in letting our souls be enlarged through grief and loss. Uh, that's why it's so important we get a great biblical framework in the process. I like what Walter Brueggemann says uh, in his work on the Psalms, he's a theologian. He says, you can look at all the Psalms have, have a, uh, a movement of orientation. Everything's fine. And then we, they, then, uh, things move into disorientation where things are falling apart. And then there's a reorientation where things get put back together. And that's God's way of moving in the world. Uh, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. If you look at the story of Job, that's the story of his life. Everything's fine. Disorientation for 35 chapters, and he gets reoriented at the end of his life. Think of the 12 disciples, same thing. Everything's with Jesus, orientation. Then they go through all the suffering and crucifixion and loss, disorientation, and then a reorientation after Pentecost. Same thing with a life of David, Jeremiah, etc. But we have this aversion to surrendering. Uh, to God. It's just, you understand there's something deep in you, there's something deep in me. I don't want to surrender. Uh, it feels like failure. It feels like defeat. We, we thrive on measurable success as leaders, especially. We want to we wanna see the numbers are going up, the ministry is expanding, everything's good. And then all of a sudden, boom, uh, it's gone. 
A few others, uh, and I've people have expressed this to me when I talk about surrendering to God, I associate surrender to abuse and uh, where folks use their power to actually hurt them. It feels dangerous. And so we end up for different reasons screaming at the notion of surrender. No, 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 no. But yet surrendering to God is a gateway to freedom, abundance, joy. And I, in some ways, I, I, I take my screams of pain uh, towards surrendering. This, 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 is, this is an invitation from God to a new level of surrender of control. Uh, in Western culture that, no, these are my scream, my internal screams of, no, God, I don't want to go through this. I don't, I don't want this cup. This is, these are birth pangs for the church uh, globally, definitely for the church nationally, and definitely for Pete Scazzaro, uh, birth pangs for a new reality to be birthed in and through me. Do you understand? Control is core to understanding our culture around us. Uh, and this external pandemic, we can't control it. Do you understand? We, we can't control this thing. No one can control it. And it's disrupting our lives <clears throat> and revealing the illusion to think that we were in control because it really was an illusion. And God is doing a fundamental reorientation of life beginning with you and beginning with me. You see, our real addiction isn't the addictions, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or food. It's really the addiction is control, that we're addicted to playing God, uh, that, we're not, that we're addicted to thinking that we're the center of the universe. And so this, this waiting on God, the confusing in between and staying with it, there is a breaking happening and an invitation from God to say yes to the, I like to think of God as a flowing river and he's flowing and we're invited to, 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 to flow with him on that river as the river takes us downstream somewhere versus I'm going to swim against the current because I don't like the way it's going or where it's going or how it's going. And so I'm fighting it. And again, this is why the daily office Silence and stillness are so core to our discipleship and it, why it's so core to the emotionally healthy discipleship course because, and we want people to be spending every day, twice a day for two eight-week courses, which is 16 weeks, trying to cultivate a rhythm of being with Jesus. Part of that centrally being surrendering my will to his will, allowing myself to float in the river of his love wherever it take me takes me. And so this rhythm of surrendering gets, gets built into my my fabric of my being, and I'm building these muscles spiritually. So then, when the big moments come, and we are in a big moment right now, uh, I'm able to stay and in the confusing in between and not quit, not go into a hole of total despair. Uh, and so, let me invite you to uh, to be taking your time, make time for self care, differentiate yourself from all the pressure around you. You getting to God is number one, uh, to be feeling your grace before the Lord, like David, taking time in silence and stillness before him in surrender. <clears throat> and again, we've got some great tools that you can find on our vault uh, uh, for the EH Discipleship course. And we're going to get our act together in the next hopefully a couple of weeks of making something more clearly available to you online. We're working on it now. But I want to encourage you, go to our website, search around. There are some good resources there. But you you want to start getting some time of stillness and silence before the Lord, of surrendering your will uh, to his will as you are not in control and going through your own grieving process so then you can be a container for other people's grief and offer that to them. Always remember the compost pile as you wait, you know, that, and you're the dis when you're in the disorientation in between time, it's a great truth. John Milton in, in his book, Paradise Loss, he compares all the evils of human history to a compost pile. 
uh, these decaying substances like vegetable and fruit peels and potato skins and eggshells and dead leaves and banana peels. And if you cover it with dirt, over time it smells wonderful. The soil becomes a rich natural fertilizer and it's tremendous for growing fruit and vegetables. But you have to be willing to wait uh, on that compost to be turned into something wonderful. Sometimes it takes months, sometimes years. And Milton, John Milton's point is this, that if you take all the worst events of human history that we cannot understand, uh, they're only compost in God's wonderful eternal plan. And out of the greatest evil, the death of Jesus, came the greatest good. And God somehow in his sovereignty transforms evil into good without diminishing the awfulness of the evil. And so I, I pay attention, I wait on the Lord and my grief, but I know that Jesus is alive, which leads me to the third phase, that, you know, that suffering and death always brings resurrection and transformation. And phase three is I, I, I believe in the resurrection. I allow the old to birth the new, but I just, I just don't jump to the third phase. I, I live through phase one and phase two. You see, if we will stay with God in this process, allow ourselves to grieve, become the message we want, we need to preach to our people about grief and loss, which is a large biblical theme, and giving them space to actually do it, we will have a greater capacity, as well as our people, to wait on God and surrender to his will. Uh, grieving breaks something in our self-will. Uh, it, it just has a, it just the process alone breaks us. And it grows us into becoming spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith. Uh, you know, you've, I'm sure you've prayed for maturity. You've prayed to grow up into a man of God, into a woman of God. Do you understand? You're, this is the pathway. Uh, it's through suffering. It's through grief and loss that we become mature men and women, mothers and fathers of the faith, capable of genuine love. Otherwise, we're just shallow. I love when Henry Nouwen rightly says that the degree to which we grieve our losses is the degree to which we are compassionate people. I want you to think about that. The degree to which we grieve our losses is the degree to which we are compassionate. There are many, many scriptures about God's God grieving. From Noah in uh, Genesis 6, God grieves that he had made humanity, to Jesus on earth grieving at, the, at, the, uh, at Jerusalem and at the... Um, death of Lazarus and the horror of death. And Henry Nouwen said it this way, there's no compassion without many tears. To become like the father, and he's, he's, he's pondering here the parable of the prodigal son and the Rembrandt's printing in his book. He goes, to become like the father whose only authority is compassion, I have to shed countless tears. And so prepare my heart to receive anyone. Whatever their journey has been, Absorbing our own pain, we are able to enter the pain of others. Oh, let that encourage you. Uh, let that encourage you. You know what else happens also as we wait on God in that grieving process and we go with him into it? Any masks or the masks that we have to present ourselves to the world, the false self, they wear away and dissipate. The monuments we erect to ourselves and our sense of self-importance are stripped Grief reduces us to our most naked self. Listen, let's be honest. Uh, it's easy to get a sense of validation uh, and affirmation from people by standing up and speaking and being in Christian leadership. People look to us. All of that is gone. In a sense, it's gone now. With the, the, we, we're alone. And now we're leading through you know, Zooms and uh, Google Hangouts and Skypes. It's not the same, quote, good feeling. Uh, but it may be very, very good for you and very, very good for me.
And again, I love Thomas Merton's great statement, God is too real to be met anywhere other than reality. But actually, grief is essential to intimacy with life itself. It, it's, it's actually the, and much has been written about this over the centuries, about how grief enables us to behold wonder and amazement in life with ourselves, with others. We, it actually it wakens us to joy as well. And, and so part of what we're doing is we, we want to create grieving spaces in our churches. You want to be a person who can create a grieving space, permission for others to express their sorrows. So you want to first do it yourself. Find a container for yourself, a place where you can be deeply listened to, someone can be attentive to your own grief and loss in the midst of all of this going on right now. And we're going to be in it for a while, at least a few months, uh, at least. And out of, so th out of that, you can offer it to others. So you may need someone you can do some Skypes with or Zooms with, uh, but you need a grieving space, but and personally and then with some others, and then you want to begin to offer it to the people that you are serving. Our churches need to be grieving spaces as people are coming to us in pain and suffering. Things are not as they were. That's over. We're in a new reality here. Um, uh, again, they, I think of Jesus in Gethsemane. He needed those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to go with him in his sorrow. He asked them to come in his loneliness. Uh, people are alone right now, and they need others to be with them. There's a, there's a level of loneliness and, and solitude that goes with grief and suffering that no one can take away. But there's also at the same time God made us to need companionship. And uh, But this is a wonderful place of revelation for us and for others. I love John 12, 24. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so we are, by God's grace, in a moment of dying, personally, on new levels. Uh, and may that scripture become uh, yours today. And may you structure your time so God can do that work inside of you. And then may you then offer that your own process to other people so that that becomes a that their grief and loss becomes a place of revelation as they pay attention to their grief and loss and you give them permission to do so and not medicate as they wait on the Lord and learn to wait on God with that. And then thirdly, they too let the old birth the new and see that yes, Jesus really is alive. So I pray God's blessing on you that you may become a mother and father of the faith, faith through these of the worst of times that we're in right now in this pandemic. And may God use you as a vessel that offers a gift to all the people that look to you for leadership, whether it's your immediate family right around you, your neighbors, uh, the folks that you, God has put you in leadership to serve. So blessings to you in this day. Look forward to seeing you next week.